Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Dan Ugambi Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the Curtain Jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is the highly anticipated UFC 265, and although we have lost the main event, that's not going to affect this show at all, because as you guys know, we are only focused on the prelim portion of the card, because this is the Prelim Primer. And for those of you who might be new to the show and you might be asking, hey, why are you just breaking down the prelims? Why are we not getting a breakdown of Derek Lewis and Surreal Gain or, or Pedro Munoz versus Jose Aldo or Michael Chiesa versus Vicente Luca? It's an insane main card. But no, for those of you who are new, it's real simple. We know that you know who those guys are. We know you're probably very excited about some of those fights. But we also know that you probably don't know a lot of these names on the prelim portion. And that's why we're here to help because... Whether you're playing daily fantasy sports, you're gambling, or hey, maybe you just want to win a pick'em contest, we know that you might need help on those early fights in order to do exactly that. Now, speaking of pick'em contest, I'd be remiss if I did not mention that this episode of the Premium Primer is brought to you by Fanatics MMA, which is the most comprehensive MMA pick app that exists today. They've got fighter bios, records, odds, all right in the palm of your hand while you make your picks. There's so many cool features about Fanatics MMA that I'm going to be telling you about later on in the show. But one of the things I really just want you to do right now is go to whatever app store that you use, either the App Store or Google Play, it's available in both, download Fanatics MMA right now. Because later on in the show, when I get to talking to you about it, I want you to be able to follow along with all the cool things I'm going to teach you about it. So download Fanatics MMA right now. Now, I am going to start breaking down these phenomenal prelims for UFC 265, but to do so, I need to be joined by my savvy co-host joining me today. You might know him as MMA Lock of the Night. You can find him on Twitter at MMALOTN, or you can find him on his Patreon, patreon.com slash MMALOTN. I, of course, am talking about Manpreet Jaws. Manpreet, thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it, Daniel. Uh, second time on the show. I enjoyed it the first time, and when you sent out the lock signal, I had to accept it once again, and uh, super excited to, to break down this big 265 card with you. Yeah, and it is a big set of prelims, and of course, as you guys know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock, and we're going to start this round by talking about Bobby Green versus Raphael Fiziev. So Green lost his three-fight winning streak last time out. He lost to Tiago Moises by decision. That was back in October. Fiziev, meanwhile, lost his debut, but since then has won three straight fights, including knocking out Hanato Moicano back in December, which was his last fight. Now, my question here for you for Bobby Green is, because he's obviously going in as one of the bigger underdogs on the card. If you were Bobby Green's coach, how do you game plan with his skill set to beat somebody like Fiziev? Man, this this is a this is a great fight. And Bobby Green definitely has the experience with, I believe this is going to be his 40th professional fight. So he definitely has all the experience in the world to deal with a guy like Rafael Fiziev, who's only coming in to his 11th fight. But Bobby Green, if I'm his coach, I'm going to be telling him to just walk him down, man. Just stay in his face, use his punches, use his boxing, and that should really stifle the forward approach of Rafael Fiziev. Fiziev has kind of just created this crazy mythological creature that he all of a sudden is, especially with the betting line up at minus 280. I saw people salivating at the mouth to, to jump on that minus 150 opening line, and it's ballooned up closer to the minus 300 range. And, you know, you, you kind of understand it, especially with the, the way that he was able to dispatch of Hanato Moicano last time around but a lot of that was set up with his kicks right he has a lot of good leg kicks body kicks 
and then he can bring it up to the head when he needs to. But it's definitely that body kick that allows him to set up the rest of his game. If Bobby Green can put him on his back foot by just marching him down, you know, doing the Bobby Green thing, hands down a little bit, kind of just goad on Rafael Fiziev and then just return with some punches, that should be a good way for him to really break down the game of Fiziev, right? I think that a lot of people are overlooking Green because of the... I like to call it the hype tax. There's absolutely some hype tax here on Rafael Fiziev, uh being at that minus 300 line. I think the line is way out of whack. If, I, if I'm Bobby Green, like I said, march him down, put punches in his face, keep pushing his back. That's the way you beat a guy like Fiziev. And uh, I still think, though, Fiziev is probably going to get the better of him. I do think that he'll be able to get the leg kicks off. Uh, Green is just so hard to trust. You know, even at a minus 280 like it was last time against uh, Tiago Moises, we saw him kind of just let that fight slip through his fingers, say what you want about the decision. But when you're a minus 280, you shouldn't be fighting that close to your opponent's level. I expect this fight to play out similarly in the fact that the big favorite is not going to look like a big favorite, but it would still play out pretty close. But I think I'm going to edge on the Fiziev side of things because there are some lackadaisical moments from Bobby Green where he kind of just lets the fight pass him by and kind of slip through his fingers like we saw in the Trinaldo fight, like we saw in the Tiago Moises fight. Uh, but yeah, I think Fiziev is the real deal. Is he the real deal to minus 300? Probably not in this spot. We got to give Bobby Green a little bit more uh, respect. But I do like Fiziev here. Don't think he'll finish Bobby Green, but I do think that he'll go out there and get the decision victory. Man, I, I agree with so much of what you just said. You know, the, the line feels really weird to be this this wide, especially after we watch Bobby Green, you know, like control Clay Guida and control Lando Venata. And I mean, even Alan Patrick, which is a little bit less impressive than those first two. But he, like, completely controlled those guys in every exchange. And, and now, you know, to see a line this wide right after just one kind of, you know, and Thiago Moises is a top 15 lightweight, it feels weird to be that far down on him. But I agree with you. If I am picking this, like, just from a perspective of who's going to win this fight, I do like Fiziev. I think he ultimately uses those leg kicks enough. And we see those kind of dull moments from Bobby Green enough that Fiziev takes over and sort of, you know, completely gets into control and gets into a groove during those exchanges. Uh, and that's going to bring us to our second. Oh, also, I'm going by decision as well. I don't think he gets Bobby Green out there. Bobby Green's a freak. Yeah, of course. Of course. And, and, hard to put away. He's really hard to put away. And that brings us to our second fight of this round, which is Vince Morales versus Draco Rodriguez. Morales just one in three in the UFC. He last lost to Chris Gutierrez. That was by leg kicks back in May. Rodriguez, meanwhile, was just knocked out by uh, Ayman Zahabi in his February debut. So not an ideal way to start off in the UFC for him either. Now, my question here for you is that Morales, there's been a couple of big problems in his game. The, the two big ones that stick out to me are he eats a lot of leg kicks and he gets taken down kind of pretty easily when he is somebody does shoot on him do you see either of those paths being an easy one for Draco Rodriguez to take advantage of or do you see Morales being able to shore up those weaknesses uh, I think Draco could potentially take care or take advantage of the, the, the takedown defense or the lack of takedown defense from Vince Morales at times. Uh, Rodriguez, not really a huge kicker, at least from the tape that I've been watching. I'm still really trying to put my finger on what kind of fighter Draco Rodriguez is, right? He has a couple submission victories, not to mention the one that he had on the, had on the contender series over Amanda Martinez. Um, but like, you know, he, he's pretty crafty on the ground. He's able to get submissions off of his back and then obviously do some good work from on top. In the striking realm, I feel like he leaves a little bit to be desired. 
I mean, I feel like he can definitely be hit. And I think that if this fight is in the striking realm, it will be in Vince, Vince Morales's realm and he should be able to do some work from there. But uh, I believe Morales is coming back from some sort of injury or or some sort of uh, I, I can't recall what it was, but he's been out of the cage for a while now since his last time where he lost to Chris Gutierrez. But the Benito Lopez fight is the one that's most intriguing to me because I thought he won that fight. I don't know what the judges were thinking there, but I thought Morales won that fight. I believe MMA decisions was heavily in favor of Morales that night as well. It seemed to come down to a, a kicking versus a punching game. And uh, Vincent Morales' punching apparently did not do enough on the judges' scorecards. And then, you know, I find it hard that Drake Rodriguez is going to go out there and replicate what Chris Gutierrez was able to do, with, especially with those low calf kicks. Um I do think that Morales bounces back, man. He he has his back up against the wall here. I do think that he's going to get the better of the striking exchanges. If his chin is still all good, I do believe it's good. His durability is fine. Uh, yeah, I think he should be able to kind of march down Draco Rodriguez here, use that footwork in its, uh, the best of its abilities. And I do think that he'll find the better crisper strikes on Draco. Does he put Draco up? Probably not. I do think that this does go the full 15 minutes. Um, but I do like Morales in the spot. I do think his footwork mixed with his boxing should be enough to go out there and beat a guy like Draco Rodriguez, who I, personally, I think he needs to get the takedown to have the most amount of success. He could have some success on the feet, don't get me wrong, but I do think that this is Morales' fight for as long as it stays on the feet. Hopefully his takedown defense uh, you know, holds up enough that Draco doesn't go out there and control uh, large minutes of this fight, but I do like Vince Morales to you know, just win this uh, pretty much outpointing Draco on the feet over 15 minutes. Well, I, I agree again with your technical breakdown almost exactly. However, I'm going to take Draco Rodriguez for that fear of taking him down too many times. I, mm-hmm. I think he's just going to control enough of the fight Either and even if he doesn't get him down, I think he's gonna hold him against the cage too, and just kind of eat minutes there, and and you know like that that shouldn't win on judges' scorecards, but let's be honest, sometimes it does. So yeah, yeah, I, I kind of just see him doing enough there, uh, and, and picking up kind of kind of like that Benito Lopez decision you said, where maybe it looked like the minutes were better for Vince Morales, but ultimately the judges don't see it that way. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with Draco Rodriguez. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, I mentioned to you at the top of the show that there are hundreds of really awesome features right in the palm of your hand when you download Fanatics MMA, which hopefully you've already done. But my favorite feature is by far the scoring system. The scoring system allows you to get like a fighter IQ score because they don't just record wins and losses but they also record them based on Vegas odds. So you actually see if you pick a big dog and they win, you go way up in the standings. If you pick a big favorite and they lose, you can see the converse there because you've got to be able to put it on the line if you're going to pick that big favorite. So the really cool thing about it is they really want to show who knows what about MMA. Isn't that what we want in our MMA pick apps? If it's what you want, download the Fanatics MMA app. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Ed Shortfuse Herman versus Alonzo Menafield. So Herman has actually won three straight fights, depending on how you feel about the last one, which was a win over Mike <laughs> Rodriguez back in September. Uh, Menafield, meanwhile, uh, was on a two-fight losing streak, but most recently picked up a Von Flu choke over Fabio Charant. That was back in March. So... My question here is going to be about Menafield because the guy, let's be honest, he tends to make little mistakes that can cost him against opponents who are smart or crafty. You know, he, he gassed himself out one time. He, he, he you know, kind of underestimated somebody striking sometimes and, and just got a little wild. 
My question to you is, is Ed Herman crafty enough of a veteran that he's going to capitalize on who Alonzo Menafield's mistakes, who is largely probably the more athletically gifted fighter in this fight? He could, man. We're, we're talking about a 39-fight veteran, a 40-year-old Ed Herman. And when, as soon as you said three-fight winning streak, and I had to scratch my head. I'm like, man, he's he's right. We're talking about <laughs> Ed Herman in 2021 with the three-fight winning streak. But when you look at those wins, Patrick Cummins, that was, you know, it seems like many moons ago. Uh, not to mention uh, Patrick Cummins obviously hanging it up MMA-wise. Uh, Hadisi Bregimov, I truly thought he was probably one of the worst fighters that's ever been Definitely. in the UFC. Definitely. So I don't mind that. <laughs> and then the Mike Rodriguez one. He, he pulled a veteran move there, man. That was a big veteran move where he where he faked the nut shot and and uh, you know it was a clear body shot in my opinion. Faked it that it was a nut shot. Took the time that he needed and then he put it on Mike Rodriguez and got the finish there. So it is what it is. The man's three straight uh, on a three fight winning streak and not to mention cashing them as about plus two hundred dogs. Another similar situation where he's a plus two hundred dog here against Alonzo Menafield. You know we know what Menafield's game is, right? He wants to go out there and try to knock your head off in that first round and call it a day uh unlike his last fight though where he goes out there and pulls off a von flu choke but uh you know he was very uh he had the benefit of being in a very advantageous position and pulling off that submission so hats off to him for for one noticing it two capitalizing on it but in this fight here i'd be surprised if he finds that herman in a similar situation this fight all in all is a huge stay away for me but i think the only way that i would approach it is if you know, we find this fight going into the second round. And if you guys have access to live betting, that's probably the best way to go about it because you're probably going to get a better line on Ed Herman going into round two. Not saying Ed Herman wins this fight if he reaches round two, but I think that you'll get the max amount of value, not to mention, you know, a huge price tag on Ed Herman, probably like plus 300, plus 350, depending on how that first round goes. But I do think that Ed Herman will get stronger that the fight, uh, the longer that this fight goes. With that said, I still do think that Alonzo Menafield will find that punch that will eventually put Ed Herman on his but then he should be able to follow up with some TKO. But it's just so hard to trust a fighter that you believe only has five minutes to win, right? Like I'm not laying a minus 240 on a guy that I believe only has about five minutes to win. I'm being a little harsh. Maybe he has six or seven minutes to win this fight, but still very, very difficult to trust him in this spot. Uh, again, with that said, I'm going to pick Melfield first round KO. But if I'm watching this from a live betting perspective, I would put a little bit of money on Ed Herman should this fight reach round two. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on this one, too. I, I do think he gets it done in round one. I, and the the problem with the fact of the, that he's probably going to win by knockout in round one is that prop isn't even that outrageous, right? Like, you're not getting, like, huge plus money on, on Alonzo Menafield picking the round and the finish because that's what everybody else expects, too. So, yeah, I think I think you're right. You stay away from this one unless you're betting live and you, you, you're you into Ed Herman or you think he's going to come up big in the second or third round. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to take Menafield by first round knockout. And that brings us to our next fight, which is Karolina Kovalkiewicz versus Jessica Penne. Kovalkiewicz last won a fight in April of 2018. Since then, she's lost four straight to Jessica Andraj, Michelle Waterson, Alexa Grasso, and Jan Xiaonan. Uh, Penne, meanwhile, huge layoff. She was off for four years for various reasons and returned to beat Lupito Gonidez. That was by split decision back in April and kind of a weird fight. Now, in that fight, though, she did show that she's definitely not gone yet, right? Like, she's not completely mm. washed like a lot of people thought she was. And I think a lot of the losses to Kovalkiewicz, where people have said she's washed too, are, are just kind of like to high-level opponents. So my question for you here is, th- this almost seems like a, a fight where if you're betting on it, you're just fading one of these two. 
Who are you more likely to fade in this fight? <laughs> I love when we have fights like this, right? Where you're just like, <laughs> who's worse at this point in their career or in this position? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, but the person I'd probably look to fade more is probably Jessica Penny because she needs to really get the grappling going in this fight just as she needed to do in the Lupita Gudina's fight. And talk about bad fight IQ from Lupita, right? Just continuously engaging in the clinch, continuously just allowing Penny to kind of wrap her up and get her into these weird and unorthodox positions. I'd be surprised to see Carolina succumb to that similar thing. Like like the names that you read off that she lost to, right? Andrade, Watterson, Grasso, Jan. I think those those women are just very skilled, like the top of the top of those divisions, right? Uh, here in this fight, it's it's pretty much a, a striker versus grappler matchup, but Carolina does a decent job in terms of, you know, striking from distance and doing good work with her output. Like, there's so many fights where you see her landing, uh, you know, especially when she's successful and when they go the full 15 minutes, you see her landing up to 100 strikes, 120, 130 strikes. Like, that's when she what she does when she's successful. And I think that this layoff that she's coming off of, I believe the last time we saw her in the cage was February 20th of 2020. Um, you know, I think this is a good amount of time for her to go out there uh or sorry that was a great layout for her to take time off and just think about her career she was close to re- retiring as well but obviously she doesn't want to do it off a four or five losing streak um great way for her to to recollect recharge and get back into the cage and talk about a favorable matchup in my opinion right i'd be very surprised if we see jessica penne put on her singlet and be you know khabib style successful here against carolina i just don't see it happening i think we'll see carolina manage the distance well, use her footwork well, stay on the outside, and just piece up Penny from the outside. And I wouldn't even count out a potential Carolina um, TKO. Uh, I was just quickly looking at the props here. Plus 950 for Carolina by KO. I think that's absolutely outrageous, especially with the massive striking advantage I think she's going to have in this fight. And I think she'll be able to implement it without much issues. Uh, I know she's at a two-inch height disadvantage as well as a three-inch reach disadvantage. But she does a really good job in terms of kind of getting into the pocket, getting her strikes off, and then getting out. And again, with Jessica Penne's... Lack of striking, even strike, striking defense. I think she's going to be eating a lot of shots in this fight. That nose is probably going to break with a couple jabs. And I think that Carolina should be able to take over after that. So, yeah, I, I do like Carolina, especially at these odds. The only concern is the layoff. But I'm taking that layoff as a positive, And I think she's going to come out and perform uh, probably one of the better performances we've seen from her over our last several years. Yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying. I, I am going to differ with you on this one though, because in in I've been back and forth a hundred times, and you almost actually swayed me with that that discussion. <laughs> but I, I, you know, you, you said she does fight good at distance, and I agree with that. But I also see her as somebody who occasionally does make a mistake and wind up in a clinch, and she's given up takedowns to people who I don't typically think of as very good wrestlers, right? Like she she gave up multiple takedowns to Michelle Waterson, who she's quite a bit bigger than, and you know, Michelle Watterson, I don't think of as like a crafty wrestler. Not that Jessica Penne is really either at this point in time, but I think she's more focused on getting that takedown and she's more geared up towards that being her path to victory here. And with with that being said, I just think, she, again, I, I don't mean to go wrestler, wrestler all over on every single one of these fights, but I think she's going to get enough of it here that she's going to win a decision. So I, I'm going to go with Penne just basically by control here. And that brings us to our last fight of the second round, which is Manel Cap versus Ode Osborne. Cap 0-2 in the UFC with losses to Pantoja and uh, Matthews Nicolau. Ode Osborne, meanwhile, lost his debut to Brian Kelleher. He rebounded with a knockout victory over Jerome Rivera back in February. I'm just going to, we're going to make this one really quick and really simple. 
<laughs> to me, Manal Cap wins this fight if he learns to stop being so damn complacent, because that seems to be his huge issue, and then just get mad at the, the judges. Do you like him enough to not be complacent here? I do, man. The guy's back is up against the cage here, or even the fact, like, back up against a wall situation. 0-2 in the UFC needs to go out there and try to save his job. I wouldn't even be surprised if the UFC decides to cut him after this one, right? He's coming over from Risen as this hyped prospect, but I think he should be able to go out there and put the whooping on O'Day Osborne in this spot. I think he's going to let his hands go. I think we'll see that KO power that he was renowned for over there in Risen, and I think he's going to put O'Day Osborne out. I think that, uh, you know, pre-fight, I was actually on the O'Day Osborne fight, or sorry, pre-tape, I was on the Osborne side thinking that there's some good value on this up-and-coming prospect. But once you actually run the tape, you know, Manel Cape is the younger guy, I believe, in this spot. And I do think that he has the potential to go out there and put a, a striking clinic on in this fight. Uh, the spot that I'm actually quite intrigued by in this specific fight is the under 2.5, which currently sits around that minus one or plus 120 range. I think both guys are capable of getting a finish, but I ultimately think it's going to be Manel Cape that finds that finish probably in the second round of this fight. Yeah, I, I like him in this one, too. I, I'm actually going to say decision just because I am – I'm so worried about that complacency. Um, <laughs> it made me so angry in his first two fights, um, but I am going to pick him in this one. I, I think he absolutely pieces up Ode Osborne wherever he wants to as long as he wants to. Uh, and that's going to be the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number three. All right, guys, I mentioned the scoring system during the last commercial break. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the group function on Fanatics MMA right now because it's so cool. You, you get to not only see the people in your group's picks as they unfold on Fight Night, but you can also chat to the people in there. And the coolest part about all of that is there are groups available for both fans of the Top Turtle MMA podcast network. That's right, my podcast network. You head on over to Top Turtle MMA and... Click the little link in either the Twitter or the Instagram. You'll find a link to join my group. You can also find it in the show notes. And hey, you can also find my co-host group. That's right, Manpreet also has an MMA Lock of the Night group that you can join. It's a public group right there on Fanatics MMA. So I highly suggest joining in. Test your picks against the people who know because you're going to enjoy it when you do on Fanatics MMA. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Miles Johns versus Anderson Dos Santos. Johns, 2-1 in the UFC. He's coming off a violent uppercut knockout of Kevin Natividad back in October. Dos Santos, meanwhile, snapped a two-fight skid with a guillotine win over Martin Day. That was in November. So, obviously, both these guys, they can crack a little bit on the feet. They've showed some pretty solid hands. But they also both kind of have sneaky good takedown offense that maybe we forget about sometimes because they do like to crack so much. Which one of these two fighters do you think is more likely to shoot the takedown first? Uh, I th- ooh, man, I-, I think Anderson will probably look to shoot first. But I think him possibly knowing that he might not have the the wrestling advantage in this fight could potentially scare him off of that. But I do think that his best work will come on the ground. Uh, the thing with Miles Johns is I feel like he has a little bit of a cardio issue. And even though he got that third round KO over Kevin Natividad last time around, I don't think that Dos Santos is going to be approaching it the way that Natividad did. Not to mention, you know, 
clear foul with <laughs> Miles Johns grabbing the inner glove of Natividad to keep him in range of that bomb that he uncorked on him and then and then finished him. But well, with Dos Santos, it seems like he's kind of accepted the fact that he knows he's never going to get the better of the striking exchanges with his opponents. So let's create a little bit of chaos so that I could eventually look for an opening, whether it's a submission or a takedown, whatever it might be. And I think that he's slowly, you know, getting used to that. You know, good win over Martin Day last time around where he capitalized on an ill-fated takedown attempt for Martin Day and then clamped on that guillotine choke. But I do think with uh, the Miles Johns fight here, if he can get away from that early bomb that Miles Johns has with his hands, obviously, you know, very powerful uh, striker is, is Miles Johns, but a little bit limited, right? He's kind of like that wrestling style of striker where he just throws blitzing attacks and kind of just does overhand rights and tries to close the distance that way, whether it's to land the bomb or, uh, or shoot a takedown. I think the longer that this fight goes, Miles Johns will start to slow down. Anderson Dos Santos will start to pick up the pace a little bit, uh, create chaos, and then eventually find a submission, whether it's through a club and sub or even through a desperation takedowns from Miles Johns. Anderson Dos Santos will clap onto that chin, uh, grab home uh, a guillotine, and, and take it home with him. So, yeah, I, I like Dos Santos in this fight. I do like the violence bet in this spot, too, at plus 170 for the under two and a half. Uh, but, yeah, I like Dos Santos in this spot. I do think that he finds that submission at some point. All right, and I'm going to go with Miles Johns on this one. I do think you make a really good point. The, the live line here on Anderson Dos Santos, probably after the first, or even if you can get it halfway through the first, is probably going to look really nice. Um, but 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 I do worry that Miles Johns has the ability to e- either just put him in a bad position, because like you said, he's got a wrestling advantage, or... Uh, I, I do think the hands are there, too, uh, early on. So I'm going to go with Miles Johns. I'm going to say he actually gets it done with the hands and knocks him out. Um, and that's going to be my official pick on that one. Now, that's going to move us to our second fight in this round, which is Victoria Leonardo versus Melissa Gatto. Victoria Leonardo lost her debut to Manon Firo. Of course, there is certainly no shame in that by a January head kick. Uh, Melissa Gatto has been booked for her, <laughs> her debut fight, it seems like, 150 times now. She is yet to have it. This is going to be it. She's 6-0-2 in her career, and she is damn near impossible to find much footage on. So here's my question for you. What can you tell people who have never seen Melissa Gatto about Melissa Gatto? Ooh, she clearly a BJJ girl. She wants to go up there and drag yes. you to the ground and try to pull off some submissions. Um, you know, she puts herself in compromising positions at times to take advantage with her grappling, and sometimes it doesn't work out for her, just as it did in that uh, Sydney Hocha fight. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, if she's not able to get her jiu-jitsu going, man, I think she's going to be in for a ton of trouble, especially here with Victoria Leonardo, who's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu herself, seems to have decent submission defense. But I think if this fight does play out on the feet, Leonardo will have the advantage. I do think that she'll be able to land some really good shots. She has some great kicks. Uh, she closes distance quite well, as, uh, too. Um, with Gato, I think it's more so... Either I get this fight to the ground or I'm probably going to end up losing. And I do think that she has a bit of a cardio issue, too. So I think that the later this fight goes and the more she is unsuccessful with implementing her grapple-heavy game plan, I think it opens up a potential finish opportunity for Victoria Leonardo the later this fight goes. So, yeah, I'm actually taking Leonardo. You know, the, she opened up as a plus-125 dog. Now we got pick odds. People are starting to get familiar with Gato when they're able to find the tape on her and seeing that Leonardo is probably more deserving to be the favorite in this spot. And I do think that she could actually absolutely find a finish the later that this fight goes. So my official prediction for the for this fight is actually going to be Leonardo by third-round TKO. I love it, and I'm doing the same exact thing. I, I think Gato, the other thing, too, about her grappling, because you, you said she's she's looking for that grappling all the time. She's also very willing to fall to her back for that grappling. She's willing mm-hmm. to pull guard, you know, like, just kind of get into a clinch and, like, fall down and let the... Pr- 
And, and I think Leonardo is A, safe enough when she is on top. And she's also got some pretty brutal ground and pounds. So she's going to yeah. have to work through that to find a sub. I, I don't think it's going to happen. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Leonardo, too. And I think she gets the finish. And that brings us to our last fight, which is Johnny Munoz Jr. versus Jamie Simmons. Munoz lost his debut to Nate Manis by unanimous decision. That was back in August of 2020. So he's been out for about a year now. Simmons, meanwhile, lost his debut to Giga Chikazi by a head kick KO <laughs> in November in, you know, one of the more cruel debuts. Now, I guess the question for me here is we, we got to see both of their debuts against very high-level competition on very short notice. Which person did you see more positives from in their debut? Oh, how could you see positives in Simmons? That was one way traffic the entire fight. Uh, Like if you want to talk about on paper, what Simmons brings to the table, he seems like he could potentially have a bright future in the UFC if he could be successful with his grappling approach. But I just don't think his top control is that good. I don't think his striking is that good. And I don't think his gas tank is that good either. I actually think that Johnny Munoz, he was close to being my locker than I played for this card, but I actually found something later on in the card that I wanted to, you know, put my money on more than I wanted to put on Johnny Munoz. But I think Munoz kind of cruises in this spot. Great jujitsu background, can, you know, pull off submissions off of his back. Great reversals, always active from his guard too. And more often than not, when you see, um, uh, Jamie Simmons when it's due to grappling. He goes out there, takes his opponents down, either smashes their face through the canvas or finds a submission uh, or just controls some of his opponents. But in those fights where he's controlling his opponents, um, you know, low-level guys, uh, you know, not much experience from his opponents. And not to mention, I do see him slow down in those spots where he's not having the best success in terms of controlling these guys. You want to have ultimate control when you're on top of a back black belt like Johnny Munoz. And I don't think that we'll see Jamie Simmons have that. So if he decides to keep this fight on the feet, he has that wrestler striking style, just as we saw from Miles Johns, which is just wide winging hooks, close the distance either to land damage or land a takedown. I do think that Munoz, although not a great striker, should have the slight advantage there because he has more tools in his toolbox. But I do think that this fight eventually hits the ground and we'll see Johnny Munoz snatch home a, a limb or a, or, a, or a choke, whatever it might be. I think it's actually going to come in the second round here. But I do like Johnny Munoz a lot. I think he has a bright future in the UFC uh, as long as he continues to uh, round out his striking game. But I do like his submission game. I think it's enough to get him to win here against uh, Jamie Simmons probably in the second round. Yeah, and I will also say this too, just comparing their two wrestling styles. If you look back at a lot of what Jamie Simmons did on the regional circuit, my big problem with his wrestling is he sometimes gets into positions where guys are ready to stuff his takedown, and he just muscles through it. Uh, and, Mm -hmm. and, And that worked great on the regional circuit, and he picked up a bunch of wins that way. It's just not going to work with guys who look like like Johnny Munoz. And, and most guys in the UFC, but certainly not a guy who looks like Johnny Munoz. So I think even if he does decide to get in on, on Johnny Munoz's legs and to look for something, and he is avoiding the, the submission, he's just going to get stuck there and gas his arms right the hell out. Because Johnny Munoz is going to say hell no to that. Stuff it. And, and yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Johnny Munoz picks up a submission off of his own takedown or, heck, it, on a sloppy takedown attempt from, from Jamie Simmons. So, yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that one. I'm going to go with Munoz by submission. And that's going to do it for the end of our third round. We gave you all eight of these prelim fights in just a little bit under half an hour. So we hope you guys learned something. I once again want to thank my co-host, Manpreet Jaz. You can follow him on Twitter at M-M-A-L-O-T-N, lock of the night. You can also check out his Patreon, patreon.com slash M-M-A-L-O-T-N. Manpreet, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Always down to do this. Just give me the call, Daniel.